Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Today's sermon was preached in 1978 at the annual camp meeting held at God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati, Ohio by J. Wesley Adcock. He titles the sermon, A Reviving of God's Work. I know you will enjoy this wonderful message. grateful to the Lord for his good providence that makes it possible for me to be here. It's a privilege to labor in interest of souls with my co-laborers and saints here. I do appreciate so much every measure of prayer emphasis. I will deeply appreciate if you will pray for me that the Lord will make clear what he wants me to preach and then give me a fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost to preach the Word. I share with you a scripture lesson found in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, again with verse 14, the third chapter and the 14th verse of the book of Revelation. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Would you stand, please, for prayer? Almighty and all-wise and all-sufficient God, our Father, we thank and praise Thee that Thou art the God of revivals, we bless thee for all that thou art and praise thee for all that thou dost do. We thank thee for every time a revival spirit has been given by thee on this hilltop, for every measure and every manner of revival fire being spread again and again. But those past times of help suffice not for now. 
And we're needy before thee and gladly acknowledge that it takes more than training. It takes more than talent. It takes more than years and years of experience for anybody to preach the word as it ought to be preached. So we pray that the unction of the Holy Spirit may be upon the various speakers of the camp meeting. May the, may the anointing of the Holy Ghost make the difference between a mere saying of words and, and a delivering of the message of the Lord in the demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost. Have thine own way, say what we cannot say, do what it's utterly impossible for us to do, and help us to be faithful in every line of duty for Jesus' sake. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. You may be seated. In Psalm 85 and verse 6, O Lord, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? In Psalm 138 and verse 7, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. In Habakkuk 3 and 2, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. If you listened as I shared with you these three portions of Scripture, you may well have observed that in Psalm 138 and a part of verse 7, there we have a personal reviving. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. In the 85th Psalm in the 6th verse, wilt thou not revive us? And in Habakkuk 3 and 2, revive thy work. I ask you, which of these revivings do we need? Personal reviving or collective reviving? Or, or do we need a reviving of God's work instead of one or the other of these? Well, of course, the answer to me is easy. There are so many, many more questions that I don't know the answer to than there are that I do know the answer to. But I'm persuaded that I know the answer to the question, which of these do we need? The answer is all three. Individually, collectively, and the work of the Lord. And if I am revived and you are revived, and if we are thus collectively revived, it shouldn't be too difficult to see God's work revived. And I so desire that all three may be a glorious reality before we reach the end of the camp meeting. It was interesting years ago to observe that Mr. Finney, that distinguished revivalist of other days, was persuaded that a, a revival is more sure to happen when conditions are met for revival than a harvest is certain when conditions are met for uh, having a good crop. For an individual may prepare his soil properly and he may plant good seed and plant it properly uh, at the proper depth and at the proper time of the season and, uh, and still not have a harvest at harvest time. 
not have a harvest because hailstones have torn it to shreds. Or maybe instead there's been too much rain or too little rain and there is no harvest at harvest time. Conditions were met, but there was no harvest. But if, if conditions are met for a Holy Ghost revival, it is more certain to be a reality if Mr. Finney were right than the harvest is certain if conditions are met for a good yield. I have reason to believe that he is correct in so thinking. One reason I believe he is correct is because I don't believe we need to pray one single prayer to get God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Ghost to want to give us a revival. I hope you didn't misunderstand. I hope nobody goes home and says, I'm not going back to hear that fellow preach anymore. I don't agree with him. He said, he said you don't need to pray for revival. I didn't say that. I want to have some more to say about that before I get through with the message. But there's a vast difference between having to coax and beg God to get him to want to give us a revival than it is to pray to meet conditions for him to give what he wants to give. I'm persuaded that the triune God had rather give Cincinnati, Ohio, a Holy Ghost revival yea, this whole state or this entire nation, a Holy Ghost revival, then he had to give better jobs or better houses or better automobiles or better health or better anything else that he might give. Now, if that's so, if that is true, then there ought to be a great big question rising in your thinking, and that question is, preacher, why, preacher, why are there no more Holy Ghost revivals than there are? And notice I said no more, and hope in so doing I make room for every Holy Ghost revival there is. Regardless of where it is or when it is or who may be having a part in it, if it is a genuine Holy Ghost revival, I'm glad for it. I'm very glad for it. But you don't have to have a preacher to tell you that again and again a meeting is announced as a revival, and it never does become a revival. It starts continues and concludes as a protracted meeting. Never does become a revival. Now, why, why are there no more Holy Ghost revivals? I believe the Lord showed me three reasons why there are no more Holy Ghost revivals than there are. I never read them in anybody's book. I never heard anybody else mention them to my recollection uh, like this, but I believe the Holy Spirit showed me three reasons why we don't have more real revivals. And the first one is because there are too many preachers and too many board members and too many lay members and too many gray-haired people and too many middle-aged folk and too many young people that actually do not realize they need a revival. Well, I didn't, I didn't expect all of you to say amen. All of you don't, all people don't believe that. But I'm fully convinced that one of the reasons why there are no more revivals than there are is because there are too many people who actually do not realize they need a revival. Now, notice I didn't say they wouldn't go through the motion of having one. You can call in workers. You can announce a, a meeting. You can have a weekend meeting or a full week meeting or a month meeting or a six-month meeting 
and really not realize that you need a Holy Ghost revival. I read the scripture lesson for a particular purpose, uh, not just to have something to read. I want you to notice that we have a picture of what I'm trying to say to you in the example of the Laodicean church. The Laodiceans declared they were rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. That's way up there somewhere that I never have reached yet. Never have reached the place where I had absolutely no needs, need of nothing. But the Laodiceans thought they had. But what a contrast there was between what they thought of themselves and what God knew about them. And God declared they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I say what a contrast that is to what they thought of themselves. I'm fully persuaded that there are numbers of preachers and numbers of lay members in our day in various churches even of the wholeness persuasion that actually do not realize they need a revival. But perhaps at this point I ought to explain. Preacher, what do you mean? What do you mean when you say numbers of people don't realize they need a revival? Well, maybe I could illustrate what I mean by that word realize. Some time ago, there was a woman who came to her pastor and expressed a desire that they might have a revival meeting. And the pastor did as he had been, went right on with their regular services, and they didn't have a revival. And some time later, she came back and expressed a desire that they might have a revival meeting. And the pastor did as he had the other time, went right on with their regular services, and they didn't have a revival. But some time after that, I don't remember how long after that, the same woman came back, and the third time she came, she had a different message and declared, I feel as though I'll die if we don't have a revival. And they had one. I don't know whether she realized the need the first time or not. I'm not sure that she realized the need the second time. I am persuaded that the third time she realized she needed, they needed a revival. To say it in another way, she had a keen consciousness, a keen, deep inner consciousness that they needed a revival. We need a revival. I know we do. If we don't have a Holy Ghost revival, there are children and grandchildren represented in this evening congregation that live and die without ever seeing what some of us have been privileged to see. So we need a revival for the sake of children and grandchildren. We need a revival for the sake of people that are under 20, that are under 40 years old in this congregation that haven't seen what some of us have been privileged to see. I say we need a revival. I know we do. One reason I know we need a revival is because of conditions inside of the church. The lack of burden for souls tells me we need a Holy Ghost revival. When you see how indifferent and unconcerned numbers and numbers of people with all of their profession of religion are, it tells me we need a Holy Ghost revival. The lack of love among the people that name the name of Jesus tells me we need a revival. Some time ago, I was in the Holmes Avenue Free Methodist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. God came in a marvelous, measureless way, in a very blessed way, and gave us a, a, a wonderful revival. It was unspeakably blessed what the Lord did. 
And I know it wasn't because Adcock was there. I know it wasn't because he's been different places and didn't see much of anything accomplished. But I know at least one reason why there was such a gracious revival in that Free Methodist Church was because there was so much, much love among the people. Only God knows how much discord and division and dissension there is in churches that are represented here tonight. And reason is revealed that there is a need of revival because of a lack of love among the people. And not only so, the lack of joy among the people that name the name of Jesus tells me we need a Holy Ghost revival. The Bible teaches us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. No wonder there's so many weaklings among us when you think of the joy of the Lord being our strength and there being such a lack of joy. Oh, the Lord help us to see that there is a real need, a definite need, a desperate need. It's manifest by conditions right inside of the church house, right inside of the church connection, uh, in the fact of there being no burden for souls and in the fact of there being a lack of rejoicing among the people that name the name of the Lord. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? I don't know what all goes along with the Holy Ghost revival. I don't claim to know everything that accompanies it, but whatever else goes along with a real Holy Ghost revival, if there is such, there will be some rejoicing in the Lord. There is a definite lack of rejoicing in our day, and there is an added lack of rejoicing in the Lord. Some people rejoice, but they rejoice in human attainments or accomplishments. They rejoice in human talent or capabilities. But brother, we need a Holy Ghost revival that will set the joy bells ringing in hearts until individuals will rejoice anew in the living God. Bless his name forever. If there is a real revival, there will be some rejoicing in the Lord. A lack of, of uh, praying for souls around the altar tells me we need a Holy Ghost revival. Yes, sir. Conditions in church after church tell me that we need, we desperately need a Holy Ghost revival. Not only do conditions inside of the church tell us that, but conditions up and down streets of this wicked city tells us that we need, tell us that we need a Holy Ghost revival. Uh, when you think of the broken homes, it tells me we need a Holy Ghost revival. When you think of the drunkenness that is prevalent, it tells us we need a Holy Ghost revival. When you think of the Sabbath desecration, when individuals build houses and mow lawns and run to the laundromats on the Lord's Day and do their washing at home on the Lord's Day and uh, desecrate his day by running to the same factory jobs on the Lord's Day, I tell you, conditions out there in simple practice tell us that we need God to come in mighty, sin-killing, devil-driving, God-glorifying revival meetings. He, he wants to give us revival. Uh, the the uh, practice of uh, drugs, usage, uh, use of drugs tells us that we need a revival. The sin that is uh, prevalent on every hand tells me we need God to come in a mighty revival. One reason we don't have more revivals is because there are too many people that do not realize they're needed. A second reason why we ha don't have more revivals than we do is because there are too many people who actually do not want a real revival. Preacher, you surely don't mean that. I wish it weren't true, but I do mean that. I'm fully persuaded that that's one reason. Now notice again that you don't misunderstand. 
I didn't say nobody wants a revival. I'm glad for every exception, here or elsewhere. I'm glad for everybody everywhere that really wants a Holy Ghost revival. But only God knows how many people there are who actually do not want a Holy Ghost revival. And one reason why some people don't want a revival is because they're afraid they would lose their religious job. Preacher, you surely don't mean that. Yes, I do. I was in a, a holiness church or a church of a holiness denomination in Albany, Illinois. God moved in a gracious way on a Friday night. The pastor turned the service over to me. I didn't need to preach. The Holy Spirit had so moved in conviction. I gave the altar call, and there were a number in the altar service. And after that altar service was over, there was still so much conviction on. I didn't need to preach. I gave another altar call and had another altar service. There was shouting and rejoicing in that church. God moved in a gracious way. And on a Sunday morning in that church service, there were 17 or 18 in the altar service. And do you suppose everybody was elated over what God was doing? Oh, no, not everybody, not everybody. I understood that from the pastor who was so good to work with that somebody came to him and didn't complain because he was failing to preach holiness, didn't uh, complain because he was failing to preach against worldliness, but declared, you're, you're getting in so many new people and they are, uh, the jobs or religious jobs or work is to be in their hands is what it amounted to and, and you're going to split the church. They should have been shouting or rejoicing happy that God was giving them some new recruits. I pastored one church going on eight years in southern Indiana, and God gave us some gracious victories, some wonderful victories. A couple by the name of Loveless, to my knowledge, had never been saved. Parents of four children, and they got such wonderful victory and were such radiant souls in the spirit of the Lord. It was wonderful to see their countenance and hear them testify you suppose everybody was elated? Well, the time came when this young father got put on the official board and one of the members of the church stopped coming. I went over to see why. He didn't say I was failing to preach the truth. He didn't say I was not discharging my duty, but he seemed to think eh, that uh, this young fellow, having been put on the board, wasn't the right thing, that some older person hadn't had a fair uh, chance or show. Oh, brother, they should have been rejoicing, happy that God was giving us some new recruits. But preacher, don't you know, don't you know, if, if they were really to have a revival over to our church, I might not get to be Sunday school superintendent and teach a preacher. I've been Sunday school superintendent for 19 years now, and don't you know nobody can do it quite like I can. And preacher, don't you know if they were to really have a real revival over to my church, I might not get to teach that particular Sunday school class that I've been teaching 13 years. And after all, don't you know, preacher, nobody can do the job quite like I can. Only God knows how many people I'm preaching to tonight that had rather have your religious job than you had to have a Holy Ghost revival and let somebody else in God's moving and working move them right into the place you've been occupying. I really don't know what you'll say about that little Friday night message, but whatever else you say, I believe at least you could say, well, he didn't preach over our heads. We could understand what he was talking about. <laughs> oh, the Lord, help us to get the truth. Help us to see the truth. 
And another reason why different people don't want a Holy Ghost revival is because they know enough about the working of the Spirit of God to know that when He has right away, when He comes, when He moves in answer to prayer, He uncovers sin. I can't locate sin, but He can. I really don't know what all's covered up in that section way over there to my right tonight. I don't know how many sinners there are over there. I don't know how many people down through here on my right of the center aisle that are guilty of living double lives in your everyday practice. I don't know how many people I'm preaching to that pull shady deals in business over here on my right. I don't know, but I know who does. The blessed Holy Ghost does. I don't know what all is covered up over here on my left. I don't know how many shady deals. I don't know how much lying. I don't know how much thievery. I don't know how much immoral practice of the opposite sex or the same sex there are uh, uh, representing uh, such sins in this uh, section to my left. I don't know, but I know who does. The third person of the Godhead does. And if he comes in real revival fires, he can put his finger right on the sore spot. He can uncover sin. I can't do it, but he can. I don't know what all's covered up way over to my left. I don't know what all's covered up, I say, over there among older folk and younger folk. But I know the Holy Spirit does, and he, he's able to put his finger right on the sore spot. He's able to take the cover right off. He's able to locate sin, and some people know that much about his working, and they don't propose to have Holy Ghost revivals. Some of them would help you to pay for uh, some uh, uh, highly... A recommended quartet to come and sing some uh, songs and smoke cigarettes after they get outside somewhere or maybe run off with somebody's wife before the week is gone. Uh, they would help have some religious entertainment. I say some people, but they don't want to have Holy Ghost revivals because he uncovers sin. Bless his name. He knows where the troubled spots are. He knows where the needs are. He knows how to meet the needs. He's bigger than the battle, greater than the difficulties. Bless his name. He wants to give us revival in this camp meeting. And I so desire that revival fire shall burn and the glory of God shall uh, be manifest and that saints will be made to rejoice anew in God and sinners brought under deep conviction until they can't eat it off and they can't sleep off the conviction and they can't get rid of it by watching the TV. But they'd rather to have their sins taken care of and be right with God and ready for heaven than to have anything else that God could give them. Bless his name. He's on the giving hand. There's another reason why we don't have more re real revivals, and that is because there are too many individuals that are not willing to pay their part of the price to get them. They may to some degree realize their need, and to some degree they may desire them, and still they don't have them, and they don't have them because they're not willing to pay the part of the price that's theirs for them to be had. And when I say price in this connection, I certainly don't mean money price. I've told the Lord if I knew he wanted me to go and knew I wouldn't get a cent, I'd go. And I'm willing to go without a cent and, and please him in an effort to labor for souls. And so I don't mean finance. Well, preacher, what do you mean when you speak of price of revival? I don't know what all is included, but I know something that's included. Uh, one thing that is necessary if there's going to be a real genuine Holy Ghost revival uh, as God would have it to be is some confession. 
some confession. I was in a meeting at, at Monon, Indiana, some years ago now. God moved in our midst. It was a, a, a battle up to a certain point in particular, though. In fact, it was disappointing because so many were, uh, so many were not coming, so few were coming to the meeting. Maybe I'd preached uh, 29 one night and 31 the next and maybe 32 the next. But we came down to the last Saturday night, a two-Sunday meeting, and this last Saturday night, there was a man and two boys that came to the altar. And after they came, God moved and uh, back on my right, the right-hand side of the, the middle aisle, was a young teenager, I think perhaps 17 or so years of age. She stood up and tears coursed down her cheeks and she confessed she had a wrong feeling, a wrong attitude towards somebody in the church. Some more people would be moved if there were the right kind of and right measure of confessing done. And, and when she began to confess like that and tears flowed, a young lady on the other side of the congregation that some of us had tried to get to come uh, and had refused stepped out and came. We had a second altar service. After that, the pastor's wife had something to say, and we had another altar service. We had three or four altar services and got out around 11, 30, 11 or 11.30 that night. The pastor said he hadn't seen anything like it since he had been there, and he'd been there for some years. Well, I can tell you one of the reasons we had it was because there was so much confessing done. If we'd have had that confessing that was done the second Saturday night, done the first night of the meeting, only God knows how many there would have been in the soul harvest that God wanted to give in that place. Yes, sir, confession, confession. I was with Brother Lacey when he was pastoring first at Pilgrim Church in Muncie, Indiana, some years ago. And in one particular service, there was a man that got up over to my right and confessed that he left the church in the wrong spirit. It's not only necessary that you and I do the right thing, we need to do the right thing in the right spirit. And some people need to get things fixed up because they did the right thing in the wrong spirit. Well, uh, I leave it up to the Lord as to whether he should or shouldn't have left the church. That up, that's up to the Lord. But according to what he confessed himself, he he left in the wrong spirit. And God gave us a gracious revival. I understood they hadn't had any such revival in 20 years. I know it wasn't just because this Adcock was there. I know it wasn't because I've been different places and didn't see much of anything accomplished. But I know at least one reason why there was so much uh, visible, why there were so many visible results was because there were so many confessions made. Some people never should confess in the meeting house. They ought to confess in the cow shed or in the basement or the attic or the uh, corn crib or in the fence corner on the farm. Some people ought to never confess in the meeting house. They ought to confess out somewhere alone with God. It's between themselves and God. There are some other people that could confess in every cow shed in the barn and uh, confess in the chicken house and confess in every corner of uh, the uh, fence of the farm and confess uh, uh, over uh, in some other church but it never will be taken care of until they get right up in the meeting house and confess out it, it involves people that are there and they need to confess it openly right in the meeting house 
Well, this may not be shouting grounds, but I tell you, if everybody walks in the light, it'll get us up there somewhere where there'll be some rejoicing. Praise the Lord forever. I'm trying to deal with some reasons why we don't have more Holy Ghost revivals. I'm down to the fact that there is a lack because people refuse to pay the price and particularly refuse to pay the price of confession. I was in a meeting up here in Ohio some time ago in Greenville, Ohio. Uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, one of the Sunday school teachers stepped out and came down the aisle over on the right. I suppose he must have been around 35 years of age. We had a gracious breaking through altar service, and the pastor got up and asked his people, have you been making right choices? He asked them the same question. Uh, I think he asked them the same question at least four times. And finally, a big husky fellow spoke right out loud from over to the left and declared that he hadn't and started down the aisle toward the altar and stopped on his way and asked a man right out loud to forgive him. I'd like to see some more people get so tired of the thing that's in the way and hindering their soul until they'd be willing to do some confessing and we'd have more fire falling and more glory descending and more God's uh, being uh, more of God's being glorified than we're seeing in our day. The Lord help us to see. But wait a minute. There's not only the price of confession, there's the price of obedience. In fact, we need a twofold obedience. We need obedience to the Holy Ghost. It wouldn't do the Holy Ghost a bit of good to tell some people to raise their hand when they're singing Amazing Grace. I said it wouldn't do a bit of good for him to tell them. They wouldn't do it. Why, preacher, do you think I'm going to make a fool out of myself? Nobody else is. Do you know how to get the victory over the devil if he sits on you when God wants you to raise your hand? I can tell you how to get the victory over him. Just put up both of them. Preacher, are you trying to tell us just raising your hand would help the meeting? If it's perfect obedience to the Holy Ghost, it will. I say if, it, if it's perfect obedience to the Holy Ghost, it will. Years ago when I was pastoring on a Sunday morning, I had an experience that I'd never had before and haven't had one since uh, like that. Uh, we were going to have congregational prayer. And I was so impressed that I should get off of the platform and go kneel down in the aisle to pray. Couldn't a preacher pray on the platform of his own church as same as he could pray in the aisle on the floor? Well, I guess he could, but I, I, I'm not convinced that he would have as much blessing as I had. I don't, I don't know he, that he'll ever want me to do that again, but I know one thing. I want to be up close enough that if he does want me to, I'll get it done. And I, I knelt in the aisle that morning and God came in in such a gracious way. It was unspeakably blessed. If we had more individuals obeying the Holy Ghost, we would have more fire and more glory and more blessing and more victory. If we had more individuals that would really obey the Holy Ghost, he would do for us what he wants to do and is hampered and hindered in the doing. Yes, sir. But not only do we need obedience to the Holy Ghost, we need obedience to the Word. Did you see that man over yonder on his knees trying to pray for this camp meeting or the meeting back at his home church? Did you hear him talking to the Lord? And did you hear God talking to him? Did you hear God as he, God reminded him of what he was supposed to do at the altar? Did you hear him down at the altar praying? And then did you hear him talking back to God and saying, No, Lord, I, I'm not ready to go make that adjustment. I know you said in the book, 
If a, a person goes to the altar and there remembers that his brother hath ought against him, that he ought to pray a little bit louder and a little bit longer. Oh, no, no, not louder and longer. Well, he's supposed to go get the thing fixed up. He's supposed to get up from the altar. As important as praying is, and there's no danger of our putting too much emphasis on a real Holy Ghost praying, but as important as praying is, there's, uh, there is a time when it's not time to pray. There is at least one time that it's time to do something else, and that is to get up from the altar, leave the altar, and go get the adjustment made. Yes, Lord, I know that's in there, but I'll not do it. I'll pretend I want a Holy Ghost camp meeting or revival, but I won't go get the thing fixed up. That's one reason we don't have more blessing and victory than we do. Did you hear that woman over yonder on her knees praying for this camp meeting or for a church meeting back at her home church? And did you hear God speak to her? Uh, Deuteronomy 22, 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Only God knows how many, how many we have exercising the awful tragedy of abomination as they wear that which pertaineth unto a man. And profess religion. Did you read it? For, well, uh, uh, you ladies out there, you women out there uh, that choose to wear pants suits, uh, remember, he didn't say men's apparel. He didn't say that. The Holy Ghost knew there would be individuals look for loopholes in these centuries. And so that which pertaineth unto a man. Well, uh, let me ask you women that uh, choose to wear tights and, and blue jeans and, and the pantsuit. Let me ask you, how, how would you like to go down the street with your husband by your side in a dress? Well, some time ago, a young fellow had a date. And he appeared at the young woman's house and where she resided and, and had on some, I don't know whether blue jeans or pantsuit or something of the nature. And, and another date and the similar appearance on another date, I think at least four dates. And here she was clad about the same way time after time. And then the, I think it was the fourth time, third or fourth time, he appeared at the door in a dress. I understood she started bawling. Evidently, she got the point. You know how I got here? I was trying to tell you why we don't have more Holy Ghost revivals. And we don't because there are too many individuals that know it's there, but they choose to re be rebels instead of obeyers. Did you hear that? Did you hear that man over there trying to pray for revival? Did you hear him? And did you hear God talk back to him on 1 Corinthians 11:14? Doth not nature teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame to him? When I was a young fella, if you call an individual a sissy, you better get ready to run or fight one or the other. 
But we live in the day and age when some individuals must call it a compliment to see how effeminate they can look. Did you read over there in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9 that uh, the women address themselves in modest apparel not uh, and with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with gold and pearls and costly array, and in the next verse, but as becometh women professing godliness. And preacher, doesn't that mean uh, not, not wearing of jewelry uh, with the exception of the Nazarenes and with the exception of the Wesleyans? No such exception there. Well, again, I don't know what you'll say about that little Friday night message, but I think another thing you could say is he, he did give us book, chapter, and verse, didn't he? Did you read it over there in uh, 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen, not 14 now? If a woman have long hair, it is a glory unto her. Did you hear over there trying to pray for a camp meeting? Did you hear talking back with God and saying, yes, Lord, I know, I know it's in there. I know it is, but, but I'll pretend I want a revival and I'll go right on getting it cut. No wonder we don't have, no wonder we don't have more revivals. No wonder we have such a lack of revivals. When you see how individual after individual, it's a wonder we have as much from God as we do when you see how individuals choose to live. Oh, the Lord help us. Did you hear God speaking to that man and that woman both over yonder on their knees in prayer and trying to pray for this camp meeting or revival? And did you hear God in Ephesians 4, uh, 4 and 32? Uh, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Oh, Lord, I know that's in there, but you know I, I haven't been kind to my wife, but I'm professing religion, you know. Uh, Lord, I know, I know uh, that I haven't been willing to forgive, and Lord, I'm not willing to forgive yet, but I'll pretend I want a revival. No wonder God doesn't do more for us than he does when you see how individuals choose to be rebels against him. But wait a minute, there's another part of the price of revival, and that's prayer. Did you read it over here in 1 Samuel uh, verse, uh, chapter 12 and verse 23? God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in getting drunk? No, sir. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in uh, watching ungodly television scenes? No, sir. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in cheating and chiseling, short waiting and short No. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for this people. No, that isn't the exact wording. And ceasing to pray for you. I wonder in God's sight, in God's sight, how many sinners there are over to my right by that scriptural measuring stick. In God's sight, I wonder how many sinners there are by that scriptural measuring stick over on the left side of the congregation tonight. And there is another part of the price of revival, and that is good works. It seems to me the devil gets some people in old line churches to think, think, think they can go to heaven 
by their good works and get some people in holiness circles to think, think they can go to heaven without any good works. But by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. And if we are going to make it to heaven, we need to walk in the light and have some good works to go along with our faith. Not saved by works, but say, but have good works because we are saved. Not to get saved, but because we are saved. And then the last part of the price of revival that I remind you of, and you may fill in the rest, is faith. Notice I didn't put faith first. Faith won't operate under certain circumstances. But if we, if we and I, you and I do any and all confessing we need to do, if we do any and all uh, of obedience that we ought to do, and if we pray as we ought and have good works, it can help us to get up there where faith takes hold and we can have God to move in this place and elsewhere in real Holy Ghost revival. Preacher, is there going to be a, a real revival spirit in the camp? And the answer is pretty easy. If people realize they need it as they do and if they will desire it as keenly as they should and if they'll pay the price to get it, the answer is yes, yes, for the triune God is able and willing to give Holy Ghost revivals in these days as same as he ever did in the past. Bless his name now and forever. Let everybody stand. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.